1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? with your back to me. When I invite a woman to dinner, I expect her to look at my face. That's the price she has to pay. You check, sir. $9.40? This is an outrage. If I were you, I wouldn't pay it. Stuart? Ah, come right ahead. Hey, Stuart. 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 the food! You're waiting all the food. afternoon for you, Stuart. You're fired, do you understand? You're fired. Hey, you big bully. What's the idea of hitting that little bully? Will you kindly let me handle my own affairs? Get out. Now, what do you got to say to me? Just this. Can you sleep on your stomach with such big buttons on your pajamas? Why, you... Hello everybody and welcome to Is It Yours? I'm Paul Spataro and this time out I am writing a way overdue wrong uh, in, and having Tim Elliott on because Tim and I, I think when I initially started this show I threw out to some people what movies do you want to cover? Tim was one of the people I threw it out to and here I am over an epi 100 episodes in and I'm finally getting him on. So I, I apologize, Tim, for this taking oh, so long. Don't, don't, uh, don't, uh, no need to apologize. I mean, 
Um, I, I feel honored to be on because this is my first. I don't count our show. I don't count doing bins with you guys. This is my first guest spot on just just me on another show. I'm always usually with Brian. So yeah, you two are like attached at the hip. Bill and I used to be like that. <laughs> we're still good buddies, but it used to be like if we were invited onto a show, it was both. As always, yeah, you get one, you get the other one. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, oh, I'm glad I'm glad to to uh, have the honor of your first solo guest oh, spot. This is a, this is a pleasure. And today we are covering the 1935 Marx Brothers movie, A Night at the Opera. So we're going way way back. Uh, I'm trying to think if this is the oldest film we've covered on Is It Yours? It may be. So, cool. another, another first. Another yes, another. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, but this is, you know, this is not the first, you know, it's not early in the Marx Brothers career. It's kind of like right in the middle of this. It's kind of right, career. exactly right in the middle. It's, it, it's, it's, it is first in that this is their first MGM film right. when they left Paramount. But yeah, right. It's right in the middle of there. They did 13 films, I think. So this is going to be number, number six. So, yeah. So normally now I would talk about this particular movie and what your history was with this. But I prefer to make it a little more wide ranging for this particular topic and say, what's your history with the Marx Brothers? Uh, I don't know when I don't know when I first became aware of them. I I was a fan from uh, from from a young kid. I probably started watching these, I would say, maybe eight or nine years old, which is odd because they're not particularly a film that would would appeal to a younger, like a younger child. But I, uh, I'll give my mother all the, the credit for that. She, um, she's the kind of the film, the film buff in our family. And she kind of introduced us to the Marx brothers, uh, just any kind of black and white, the hope and Crosby road pictures, which I'm a huge fan of those type of films. So <clears throat> I was already, you know, I was already aware of it and, I don't think I've watched – I haven't seen all of them. I haven't seen some of their later films. I've seen all of the Paramount ones, and I've seen this one and Day at the Races and um, The Big Store. There's a couple that I haven't seen, I think, or they're later on because like it does – Night at Casablanca. Right. I haven't seen that. And because I think there are some that – there's a kind of a sweet spot where all these films are good. And it, like the road pictures, as they get older – and they get further along, they they do wane a little bit in their uh, how good they are. But uh, we would, you know, this would be on if we catch it on TV. Uh, and my brother, he well, he he's three years older than me. He was big fan. We would quote these to each other. And again, it's not a type of film that you would think a, a nine and a twelve year old would think is funny because the humor is. Or maybe that's what makes it work because the humor is multi-level because you can look at it kind of like kind of like you would have three stooges kind of um, not to take anybody from the stooges because I think their their humor is pretty, pretty uh, highbrow in, in, in certain instances. But I think you can watch this like it's very kind of slapstick and physical and think it's funny. And then you as you get older, you can uh, watch it and listen to how witty it is and think it, just listen to the banter between uh, Groucho and Chico or Chico. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that there's I think Harpo is definitely someone who will 
appeal more to a younger crowd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and somehow he, you carry that through because, you know, now in middle age, uh, you know, I watch this and, and Harpo's uh, acting and his, his comedy still brings a smile to my face. So it's not that it doesn't appeal to older people. Uh, but he, he, he does, you know, a much more physical comedy, uh, because of his situation where he didn't speak, you know, his character right. never spoke, uh, on, on, in these movies. Uh, you know, his, his things were, you know, his physical, uh, activity. And there was something about Harpo where, uh, it was like the laws of physics didn't really apply to him. And they talk I, about th- that, that he's almost a cartoon character. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, for that reason, I slightly disagree with what you were saying because I do think that this does appeal to a younger crowd. I just think it depends on when you were in that age because, you know, you and I, I'm a couple of years older than you, but we're kind of contemporaries. Yeah. So when we were in that age group, you know, you only had so many choices of what to watch and you would be exposed to something like this more than kids would nowadays. Uh, I think kids would be more resistant to it now because they have so many choices. But mm-hmm. I think if you could get a young kid to sit down and watch it, they would be just as amused by it as we were. Yeah, I agree. Did you? I assume. Uh, I mean, I'm assuming. Were you? Are you a fan from 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 your childhood? Or yes, uh, I had I had a okay. very similar experience to you. I remember sitting and watching. I I specifically remember as a young kid watching and seeing a uh, a scene with Harpo, and it may have been. It may have well have been the scene in this movie uh, when he's playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And all the kids are around him? Yes. Yeah. And, well, and, and that particular scene, the... yes, that's exactly what I was about to just say. Yeah. I think that's what it, uh, uh, appeals to him. I mean, it, it, it is. It's, uh, it's kind of that rapid fire, at least from Groucho, it's that rapid fire kind of delivery uh, of his – um, of his dialogue that they're kind of all zingers or, or when he gets in with, with Chico and they have that, they do spar and it's, it's very quick. It's almost like um, it's not as perfected as um, who's on first. But if you think about how well that's written, who's on first and how well it works, it's that same type of humor. It's, it just, all the, all the, all the dialogue just kind of knits itself together uh, to create this, great kind of verbal barrage that the jokes are just coming pow, 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 pow. Uh, and then occasionally they'll stop and kind of, you know, let you catch your breath and, and realize what you're listening to. But that, that I think as a kid, I didn't, I didn't pick up on. It was like, yeah, he's saying something funny, but maybe I didn't quite get it. And as an adult, you're like, Oh, that's very clever. You know, that's very clever. That's, uh, it's again, I don't want to go back to the road pictures, but it's the, the hope and Crosby kind of banter uh, is, well, is, and, I'm sorry, finish what you're saying. No, I think it's just the same type of dialogue that I like. In in this one, I mean, there are two extremely famous scenes that, that give credit all the time. And one of them is the uh, contract scene mm-hmm. with Harpo and Chico going back and forth. And, you know, all t- the, the joke everybody remembers is, you know, the sanity clause. <laughs> and, you know, oh, you can't fool me. There's, there is no sanity clause. That's just uh, funny. That's yeah. just funny. And, and but even the banter back and forth between the two of them that you know they did have a tremendous comic timing mm-hmm. uh, between Absolutely. them. Uh, I mean Groucho's timing was probably as good as anybody in show business. 
his his comic timing and he and he and Chico worked great together. Uh, and you know, I, I don't know if it's because they were brothers or it's because they worked together so much, but the three of them, the three prime Marx brothers, Groucho, Harpo, and Chico, uh, all had just such tremendous chemistry together. Uh, and there was always, you know, every movie they, they I don't think they ever played brothers. Uh, the only time I think they ever, there was ever a relation, you know, an actual blood relation in the movies was, I think, in Horse Feathers, Groucho played Zeppo's father. Mm. Well, I, but yeah. but they, 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 they never played, you know, they never had any uh, family, family relationship other than that. But Chico and Harpo always knew each other before the movie began. They, they were always a set. Yeah, they were somehow paired together. Um and then they were going up against, and then they were kind of reluctantly forced upon Har- uh, Groucho, who was kind of doing his own thing on whatever con he's pulling. And but they always came in, <clears throat> and they would usually pull some kind of con on him. They would, the contract scene which you were just you were just referencing, uh, Har- uh, Groucho thinks he's pulling one over on Chico, but Ch- and <clears throat> Chico is kind of played to be a little naive. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Chico is actually pulling one just as much over on um, on Groucho, so that at the end, Chico's got his way and Groucho didn't. He, you know, he kind of was fooled, and it's that that's the the kind of the genesis of the, in the next film, Day at the Races of the Tootsie Fruitsie scene when he's oh, he trying to, uh, which is that's more complex. And that's you know, I think an even funnier scene, um, but I think that's what uh, the that's what maybe it was because they I know this film they actually uh and I guess we should talk about that this is their first MGM film they they were they made five films at Paramount and they were getting a little uh I don't know if they were getting frustrated or whatever or their contract ran out so they they uh it was I think Chico that was playing with Irving Thalberg mm-hmm. who was uh production head over at MGM and they talked about it and he said, Hey, why don't you come over here and we'll make a film. And, uh, they came over and they actually tried out all the gags. They wrote the script, but they went and took the, the main scenes on the road and tried them out so they could see where the laughs were. And for about four weeks, they took it on the road and they would do it in different ways, try to find, you know, time it and try to, you know, get it really honed so that when it came time to film it, it would, uh, you know, they already knew where the the jokes were going to be, which is, which is kind of what they did when they, because they had, you know, they came from vaudeville, so they were right. used to trying all this stuff out. So yeah, a lot, a lot of their earlier movies, uh, I know Coconuts and uh, I'm pretty sure Animal Crackers mm-hmm. uh, were all things that they had done pretty much on stage, as, as productions on stage before they filmed them, and not not necessarily so much plays as vaudeville shows, I guess. Right. Uh, but from what I understand, Thalberg with this one, uh, when they came over, you know, made it clear, I don't want to have a loose premise with a bunch of gags. Mm-hmm. I want to, you know, that he wanted it to be a much tighter premise. He wanted a real story to be going on while the gags were, were being played out. And and I think that worked in this. I think it, it, it gave it, you know, uh, it, you know, it tied it all together much better. Uh, than a lot of movies of this era were, uh, you know. So the whole idea is that, uh, you know, that there's the uh, 
the the main opera star who's really obnoxious, and then there's the up and coming guy who who the main guy is holding down, but is you know more talented and a better guy. So and, and oh, and he's in love with the main female singer, uh, played by Kitty Carlisle, who I only really knew as a mm-hmm. game show you know game show uh, celebrity growing up. But uh, anyway, uh, that uh, guy, it's because this is the first movie that didn't have Zeppo in it. But he looked, it was uh, Alan Jones, looked very similar to Zeppo, to me at least. So like for years as a kid, I thought yeah, that, he that plays, it was Zeppo. He played the same kind of part that Zeppo. Zeppo always plays. Exactly. Except I don't think it usually wasn't a, uh, a kind of a love story. Um, like there was in this one, which I know this is this film is a little decisive, the, this divisive amongst um, Marx Brothers fans because some prefer the Paramount stuff, which is a little more manic and crazy and kind of out of control, as opposed to this one, which is it does have more of a solid story. It's got much better production because MGM had all these lavish sets and costumes and all this stuff they could they could uh, pour into it and. So, because I know Thalberg said he could uh, give them better production and tone down their humor a little bit, so it wasn't quite as crazy. And then they have this, um, and I don't know if you even they, if you call it a sub a subplot of the two leads, um, the the you know the main opera star and the and the and the female opera star, and they wind up singing in the opera, or is that the main story? And the Marx Brothers are more in the background helping that you know, resolve itself. So they almost take uh, a little bit of a back seat, although I don't say they're co-stars in the film, but they do take almost a back seat to this romantic plot that's going on that I know some people don't like because it's not, it's not the same as what, what, what it came before them. So that makes I sense. think that they don't take a back seat in screen time and they don't take a back seat in mm-hmm. Just, you know, the joke presentation, but they do take a backseat as far as story, because none of the Marx Brothers in this movie really has a story arc in and of himself. They're just, they're kind of along for the ride with that that plot. Right. But while they're along with it, they're getting the, you know, the maximum screen time and and getting to do all their gags and and I, at least in in this movie in particular i think it, it really worked out well and like you say uh, i may not share that opinion with everybody else some people may uh you know may feel differently and the one thing and and since i'm a kid the one thing i do cringe about in movies of this era and i know that some people were unhappy with it is uh you know some of the the, the song production numbers that they stick in these movies uh i, I could do without <laughs> uh, now they they had the the love song uh, what's it called always I, I think uh, in this which which actually I, I learned was was a hit it actually sold quite a few copies uh, so you know as far as all Marx, Marx Brothers movies that was the most popular uh, or the best selling song that was in any of them but I you know I could have done like I said I could have done without it uh, interesting trivia point uh, Alan Jones who plays the uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the Zeppo role. Uh, his son, Jack Jones, is the guy who sang the Love Boat theme. I didn't know that. I know he had a son that was was also a singer, but I didn't know he sang that. 
Um, I mean, he was just, he 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 had more of a singing career than that, but that is probably his most famous song. His claim to fame, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that um, that this is. I know Groucho feels that this film and Date the Races are their two best films that they've done, and maybe that's because they're the best produced. But they look <clears throat> maybe they look the best. It certainly looks good. I mean, the, the the lighting is great, and so are the 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 sets and the costumes are pretty pretty. Uh, um, pretty lavish, you know, when you're getting mm-hmm. that scene on the on the boat when they're doing the um, the when all the the steerage people are all together and having that <clears throat> they're eating dinner. Uh, yeah, this is, you know, it, it it is you know steerage. I always thought was the really poor people, but they have an awful lot of food there, <laughs> and they seem to be having more fun than yeah. the highbrow who are uh, you know are up in uh, you know up in the dining room, but. That's I think that's the the heart of Marx the Marx Brothers are they were always kind of taking down uh, the establishment so it, usually they have some usually it's Margaret Demont but in this case it's her and uh, Sig Ruman who plays the opera he owns the opera house and they were both great foils to Sergeant the... Schultz one of my favorite films Solid Seventeen no oh, yeah. yeah yeah I love that and one they oh, they they're getting their kind of comeuppance so that's yeah. Well, Margaret Dumont is just incredible in her own way, uh, and you know, I, I think I think as a kid, you don't really appreciate how funny she is and how she allows Groucho to play off of her and makes him funnier. Absolutely, if if, if you know, if he didn't have a good straight man or a straight woman in this case, he wouldn't be as funny, you know. So it's, apparently, he would. He has said that she. They were very fond of her. All of them were, but they said she didn't really get their humor. So yes, some of I've that, heard that. Some of that is the, her bewilderment <laughs> is maybe genuine when he's when he's telling her, you know, he just, she doesn't quite get it. So that makes it even even funnier. It makes it easier for her to play to play bewildered. Yep. And uh, see, I I would I might have to you know kind of rewatch my Marx Brothers library. To see where I would have them fall, uh, because this is the first one that I'm ever watching with an eye towards critiquing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, I've just watched them for, just for the pleasure of watching them. But in my mind, I always kind of had the triple, you know, for the top for me was always this duck soup and animal crackers. And then, you know, kind of the next rung for me would be a day at the races, horse feathers, coconuts, monkey business. And I'm not sure now. Maybe if I watched them with a little bit more of a critical eye, maybe a day at the races would rank higher than I had previously thought. It's it's very similar to this. I mean, it's got a lot of the same kind of the same beats uh, and the same, you know, that we already talked about the Tootsie Fritzie scene. It's very similar to um, what's in this film, I think. I'd, I'd agree. I'd have to. I've I've never sat down and watched like, you know, from the beginning and watched each one in, like in succession. I've always just watched them as I would catch them on TV. And you tend to would catch the. I know this one and Day of the Races would seem to play more. Uh, you hardly ever saw Duck Soup. I didn't see that until I was much older. Uh, I'd always heard of it, and uh, I think that's the film that kind of. It wasn't. I don't think it was kind of a flop. I think when it came out, but it's since been. Reevaluated, so it's. Um, I know a, a great many people feel that was their single best film. Yeah. So you know, it, it. I guess your mileage could vary on all of them, but 
every one of the ones I mentioned, I have no problem sitting down and watching at any time. Uh, the, you know, the interesting as far as that goes, and I guess we, you know, we're not limiting ourselves to just talking about this one. Uh, as a kid, when I got very into the Marx Brothers, and, and me and one of my buddies were very big fans. I, I read Harpo Marx's uh, autobiography. Uh, I had the, uh, you know, the book uh, that was the still photos from the movies with, you know, the captions, nice. uh, which was called Why a Duck. Uh, <laughs> and then, then they came out with another one called Hooray for Captain Spaulding, which that book was just Animal Crackers, which had not, for whatever reason, been showing on TV. There was some sort of a rights issue with that. And when I was probably 12, 13 years old, somewhere around there, it got released in movie theaters. And my buddy and I went and saw it actually in a theater. Must be nice. So, and that was the first time I ever saw that movie. So the, you know, the, there was a Marx Brothers movie where the first time I ever saw it was on the big screen, which is kind of cool. That's the way to see it. Well, I know this film, what you're saying, it was, uh, and I didn't pick up on it the time that I'd seen it. It starts, it has kind of a cold open. It just opens. And you're supposed to be in Italy. But apparently when this was re-released in the 40s, they were sending it overseas uh, to American audiences, like, or the GIs. They cut out uh, all the references to Italy because, of course, we were at war with Italy. So, but apparently they cut the uh, original negative, and I guess it now all exists is what we see now. So you don't know, you really wouldn't know that you're in Milan, Italy, when you first watch it until mm-hmm. they get on a boat and they're heading to New York. Yeah, that's uh, well. I guess you know the timing of it and everything mm-hmm. entered into that. Yeah. Uh, so just to, to talk about their performances a little bit, uh, I, you know, I just all three of them, I think, shined in this movie or shown uh, whatever the proper tense would be for that particular <laughs> uh, expression in this instance. Uh, because, I mean, Groucho was there with his quips and was just excellent. Uh, you know, Chico kept up with him and Harpo to me may have been more expressive in this movie than, than any other one. You just, I just, you know, you, if you watch closely, and, and again, this is the first time I ever watched this movie with an eye towards critiquing it, and just his body language and his facial expressions are phenomenal. He's playing a mime in a movie where, you know, it, it's, it wouldn't be appropriate. And it's, fu- it's funny because uh, Leonard Malton does a uh, commentary on the DVD, mm-hmm. and he says... You you watch it and you think, well he would he would have no problem fitting in in silent movies because it was his thing, but somehow when you put him as a silent movie character into talking films, it just like increased his appeal exponentially. Uh, whereas just about any other person, if you did that with, you'd be like exasperated with them and you wouldn't even want to <laughs> deal with it. Because he well, just had talk, such a charm about him. Yeah, they talk about how good a pantomime he was, and you're right. You you tend to, and probably as a kid, you're watching it. You're not really watching him. You're like, okay, he's doing some funny stuff. But if you really watch, to your point, his facial expressions, the way he's reacting to things, uh, how physical he is, especially in when he's doing all the crazy stuff, swinging around uh, in the opera and running up down the, those uh, those backdrops. 
where he seems to be kind of uh, not human. He seems to be more of a, a you know a Warner Brothers cartoon. Uh, you appreciate that you think, oh, he's just not really acting. He's just being silent. He's doing something funny. But no, he's acting. He's he's acting as much as the rest of them are. He didn't have any one-liners. He doesn't have a, a funny accent. He's having to do it all with his, he said, his body language, his facial expression, and just the way he plays off the other characters. So, it's one of my personal favorite scenes. Uh, is right at the beginning of the movie when he he whacks uh, was it Lesperi is the uh, the opera yeah. guy. He whacks <laughs> him in the head with a, with a mallet and knocks him out. And then, then he, he takes smelling salts and, and wakes him up. And Groucho is like kind of narrating as he does. Oh, oh, you feel bad for what you did. Oh, that shows a nice spirit. And as soon as he wakes up, he <laughs> whacks him in the head with the mallet again. And I just again. love it. I, just, I, I laugh every time. Well, look at his what he does in the, uh, the probably the, the, the maybe the most famous scene from this film is the, the stateroom scene, uh, which they said they... You know, they when they took that on the road, it didn't get any laughs, and they were worried that they were going to cut it. But apparently, Thalberg said, "No, no, it'll it'll look better on film, so keep it in there." And it's the the choreography; they're so tight, and what he's doing, he's basically being pushed around it in that whole scene. Because he's, he's sleeping through the whole scene. He's sleeping, yeah. But he's being, you know, in that last scene when they come in with the food, and he's kind of plates or the the trays. That's and I don't know how that must have been exhausting for the people doing that because they're all everybody in that whole scene is being very physical. Yeah, and and the guys with the plates are bringing the hard boiled eggs that that Groucho had to order just before the scene really got underway. Yeah, because because every time every time you put in an order, Chico would say and two hard boiled eggs. Two eggs, yeah. And two hard boiled eggs. Honk, honk that horn, yeah. Three hard boiled eggs. It's <laughs> it's I mean it, it's it's very very silly in the way it comes off, but they play it so well that it doesn't feel ridiculous. It's funny, but it doesn't feel ridiculous somehow. Right. On, on paper, that, that scene shouldn't work. If somebody was describing it to you, you would think that that's not funny. But it's Groucho's delivery and how well it's 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 rehearsed and choreographed and uh, all his lines of, you know, of, well, when the woman comes in and says, hey, is my, you know, I think my Mitty in here, he goes, I don't know, but you can probably find somebody in here that's just as good. Yeah. You know, uh, that kind of, just all his lines of, you know, you know, when, when he's, he gets a, she comes in and says, you want a manicure? He goes, yeah, come on in. So she's, she, she started to do his nails and says, you want them long or short? He goes, well, you better make them short because the room's getting kind of crowded. Yeah. That's just, that's just funny, you know. Tell Aunt Minnie to send up a bigger room. That's right. <laughs> And and it's you know I mean if you've been on a cruise even when you get a you know a regular room it's not a hell of a lot bigger than that no. anyway. No. But, I no. mean on on these cruise ships the rooms are small. That's just the way they are. And you don't have a steamer trunk the size that he had that you could fit three people in. So and then you know one of the things that I would just mention is even as a kid when I would have little patience for the musical interludes in these movies. I still always enjoyed Chico playing the piano because he would always do it with a visual flair. Besides playing a an upbeat tune, which he always did, mm-hmm. just watching his hands manipulate the keys was phenomenal. He would do the thing with the with like the where he was like shooting a gun with his hands as he, as he would be uh you know pressing the keys down and it amazes me to know that he was entirely self-taught. 
that yeah same with harpo and his uh, uh when he's playing the harp is that that the harp the harp scenes may be the only ones that i would get a little glassy-eyed because he takes it pretty seriously he's not goofing around he's pretty serious about his playing um but you know they're not they're not long i mean it's two minutes three minutes you know that you're gonna have to And you know what comes before and after is always worth um, worth watching. It's just kind of having to um, you know put up with it. But I don't even consider really putting up with it. But uh, yeah, well, exactly. It's 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 putting up with it when you're you know eight nine years old. Yeah, because uh, yeah. you're never you're never gonna have the patience for that stuff. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, like I said, you, even as a kid, that the, the Chico playing the piano was still fine with me. Well, to your point, it's like in this film, he's having a lot of fun because he's he's interacting. He's not only playing a, a nice little tune; he's interacting with the kids, and uh, it is just amazing to watch uh, him do that. You know, to because I, I can't, I played the violin for eight years, but I can't play the piano to know that somebody's able to do that and still kind of act while they're doing it. You know, so yeah, it's very impressive. You know, as as a kid. Like I said, the way he does it, they, they, he just kind of makes it fun. But as an adult, mm-hmm. you're just you're just impressed with the fact that he can do it at all. Do it at all, exactly. Are uh, do you have you shown these to you? I mean, are your kids fans of these movies or? Uh, sadly, it's one it's another another point where I've kind of failed as a parent because I haven't really <laughs> exposed my kids to this. Uh, you know, <laughs> like I said, kids today they have so much to choose from. from and it's difficult to get them to sit down and watch things in black and white uh well my kids are old enough that sometimes i can get them to to watch some things that they might not otherwise watch you know they'll take my word for it and at least give things a shot but uh it's not easy and these these have not really been among what i've exposed them to Expose them to and for that well. like i said i've kind of failed no, no, come on, Paul. Well, I mean, I, I don't think my wife would, if I was sitting down this, she might be kind of interested in it, but I don't think she would sit down and watch the whole thing through. Yeah, because she's a kid. <laughs> she, well, she's a, she, she, she likes movies, but she's not, I, I don't, wouldn't consider her a fan of the movies. Uh, she rarely will watch anything twice, and uh, older stuff, I think she gets kind of bored quickly, and this is not a lot of, you know, it, it's not a slow start, but it's 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 you know it's a movie from the 30s and 40s, and they're going to be a little more uh, patient about getting to what where they're going instead of just kind of jumping right into it. So yeah, I am finding um, as as I'm doing this show, uh, and you know we try to cover a very eclectic group of movies here, uh, and when we cover things that are significantly older, uh, and and it just occurred to me that. Uh, Blaine Dowler and I did The General, which is older than this. That was a silent oh. film. Uh, but anyway, uh, when we when we cover things that are older, like The General, like this, uh, you know, like some other, just other movies of, of earlier vintage, mm-hmm. uh, you do have to have a greater willingness to sit down with an open mind and take it for the era that it was made in. Because if you're just used to, you know, a a more glossy, recent, uh, you know, special effects laden film, uh, you're not going to appreciate this. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you, 
I, I think Kevin James is a funny guy. But if you compare this to, say, Paul Blart and Cop, <laughs> on an art level, you can't compare Paul Blart. But no. if you took two 15 or 14 or 12-year-olds, whatever, and you told them pick between the two, I think no, almost don't. invariably they're going with Paul Blart over this. Probably. You're probably right about that. But just the same, this is so much more... There is so much more to the comedy in this than there is in that. Well, and not only are films like this, not only they, you know, this is a great film. It's funny, but older films, what I like about them is one day is that they are a window to, uh, to what was going on back then. You know, you can kind of see, you know, just the way the world was back in the thirties. You know, my, my wealth, my wife will like that. If it's an older film, she'd, she likes one of our ones we watch every um, uh, Christmas is White Christmas, Bing Crosby, mm-hmm. because she loves the gowns. She loves the style of those 50s um, clothing. So you can watch it for that. And it's, you know, it's it's just very, very rich in technicolor. But, uh, you know, older films like this are a little peek behind what, you know, what it was like. Uh, and you can kind of and some stuff is kind of topical. You can kind of. Uh, you can kind of understand, you know, they talk about there's a couple of jokes in here that were that you wouldn't necessarily get because it was something was going on at the time. But, um, yeah, I think it is. I think if people sat down and gave it a chance, they might get kind of sucked in and watch it. But it may be hard just to get them to that point of like, OK, you're going to watch this and let's sit down. And, um, you know, it's like, I don't know, this is like 80 minutes or 90 or an hour and a half. I think it's 90 minutes. It's not very long. Um, right. But. Yeah, it's a matter. It's a matter of people having the patience to try it and yeah. then to give it a shot. And I think if you do, then there's there's a lot to be had. Uh, one of the things that I hadn't really thought about so much on my own, but Leonard Moulton mentioned in the commentary, was that they made a point. They never wanted to make fun of opera. They made fun of the pomposity of some of the fans of opera, or some of the performers of opera but they never made fun of opera itself. And that that's an interesting uh it is, yeah. thought when when you're watching it if you you know if you you start watching for that a little bit, it really is Groucho making fun of the people not the art form. Right, because the two leads, the two younger leads, you know, are there's they you know that's played straight. There's nobody makes makes fun of them and they're presented as being successful and good at what they do to the point where they should be, you know, uh, they should be singing instead of the, 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 the guy that's kind of, kind of full of himself, you know, and thinks that, you know, he's, he's, you know, they seem to do it because they love to do it. And he's kind of in it for the money. So it's a good point. I didn't think about that, What that they don't, they don't really poke fun of, um, it. They just poke fun of, um, some of the, the, the more pompous people that can be in it. Or even the pompous fans or whatever, but right. you know, it, it, it's it was it's an interesting perspective that they took on things. I think. So, looking at this now, any other thing about it that we should hit on before we rate it? Um, no, I mean, I think. Uh, well, let me ask you this: If someone, if you were going to introduce the Marx Brothers, to someone, would this be like an entry film, or would you show them, say, Duck Soup, or? Uh, Animal Crackers or an earlier film. I, th- I think Duck Soup would probably be the first one I would show people. 
but that, choice, that, yeah. that is not a uh, that is not necessarily a, a shot at this one. Uh, and we should just note note that uh, this movie was uh, selected uh, to be preserved in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress uh, as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And I think it might be all three of the above. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's kind of a it's it's to to the point where maybe the one of the this and day of the race is maybe the two that people are most familiar with and they think of uh the Marx brothers other than you know I know duck soup was as like I said I didn't see it until much later and it it, it was kind of almost like it was a lost film and then suddenly it was uh re reevaluated and now it's like you said some people consider it some of their their best film because it, it that's very crazy it's very manic and crazy and um much more jokey uh, than this one is, but um, yeah, and I mean, that, that, would that make... also has some famous scenes in it as well, including mm-hmm. the uh, the Groucho and Harpo in the mirror sequence. Oh, is that from Duck Soup? I couldn't. Yeah, that's true. Um, that's unless unless I'm unless I'm, my memory is false, that would be from Duck Soup. Then yeah. that's been recreated, uh, probably most famously by Harpo Marx and Lucille Ball. Yeah, on her show. So, all that said, where does this fall on the Jaws scale? Uh, I was thinking about that today because I was actually listening to uh, before I was listening to your earlier show you did with Luke and uh, um, Jason. I'm going to say I know we don't do halves. I'm going to say it's a very, very, very solid Jaws two. Uh, I only because I, I I think I know what Jaws one is, and this is maybe this is not a perfect film. Maybe for what it is, it could be, but for some reason in my heart, it's I'm saying a very high Jaws two, not quite Jaws. See, I'm I'm gonna split the baby on this one, and I'm probably, you know, it's probably the coward's way out, because uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say if, if I I can't necessarily just say it's an unequivocal. Jaws, because I do think that there's a large percentage of our population that if they haven't seen this yet, they wouldn't have the patience to give it a try, and therefore mm-hmm. they'd watch five minutes of it and say, oh, black and white, old <laughs> production values, I, I can't watch this, and they'd walk away from it. Uh, on the other hand, if you if you are a fan of film in general, and you have the patience and appreciation for uh, movie making, comedy, just the whole, you know, the whole art form. Uh, I think you could look at this and say it is a Jaws. So trying to to put those two thoughts together, I'm going to kind of fall where you did and say it's a high Jaws too. Uh, it, it probably should be a Jaws, but I think time has taken away from it as far as potential audiences go. And for that reason, it drops it down slightly. Yeah. And, and, and I never thought about that way, but it does. I know uh, on your other shows, you talk about, you know, does a film do what it's supposed to do. And this does, it does exactly what it's supposed to do. But um, I don't know. I mean, so, I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's because from my love of Jaws that, and how I can look at that film and, you know, I can watch that film and see something new every time. I don't care if I've seen it a hundred times. I can see something new. Uh, 
So maybe that's what's keeping me. But you know, if we were doing halves, like it's it would be a uh, uh, and a half, five or something like that. It falls in between, I think. Jaws and a half, yeah. Yeah, I, I, it's I, definitely worth. I it's mean, like I, I want. I want to give it a Jaws, and just the fact that it was, as we said, you know, the AFI preserving it, and uh, it's on, you know, lists of the greatest movies of all time. Mm. So it, I feel like it should be a Jaws. But again, I just think the aesthetics of the audience are gonna keep keep it from getting the appreciation it deserves. And that's and that's a shame, you know. I would uh, if, if if nobody, I mean, I would say to anybody listening to them, if you kind of think, you know, I think they're like they're in the zeitgeist. People kind of know. Okay, I think I know who they are, although I've never seen a film. This is not a bad one to uh, to watch. Just give it a chance, you know. It, it's uh, it's you know, I know this type of humor is not everybody's, you know, cup of tea, uh, but it, if it's, it's got physical gags, it's got great wordplay, it's got got songs. If you like that, it's got good production numbers. So um, I, I just say give it a shot. Yeah, I agree. So that'll do it for a night at the opera. I don't know. I'm not sure sure what we'll cover next time. If we're gonna, you know, next time I have Tim here, if we're gonna try another Marx Brothers movie or if we're gonna veer off into something totally different. I suspect we probably might go for something totally different, but we'll see. Uh, thanks for coming on, Tim. You want to plug your show oh, before we uh, wrap it up? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, you can catch me uh, weekly now. We've been doing them pretty quickly on Third Degree Burn uh, on the Two Two Freaks Network. Uh, it's me and Brian Hughes. Uh, we also have guests hosts usually Kirk Greenfield and John Hyatt uh, lately. We've been covering anything by John Byrne. I think uh, we're going to do some more of the Elseman stuff coming up, so... Uh, give us a listen. It's not, you know, they're a little bit longer shows, but I think we do. I think we do an okay job. I think you do as well. I enjoy listening to it. But I could tell you, by the time this airs, because of the uh, pandemic and the quarantine, I have so many episodes in the can that your your <laughs> elsewhere episode will be in the rearview mirror. Long, long that. That's that's fine. We probably already so, passed that up. We don't. People um, will have to go into the archives to find it, but I would recommend that you do. So thanks again for coming on. Give us more downloads. Yeah, that's fine. Thanks again for coming on, and thank you, everybody, for listening, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Now, uh, here are the contracts. You just put his name at the top, and uh, and you sign at the bottom. There's no need of you reading that, because these are duplicates. Yeah, it's a duplicate. Duplicates. I say they're they're duplicates. Oh, sure, it's a duplicate. Don't you know what duplicates are? Sure, there's five kids up in Canada. Well, I wouldn't know about that. I haven't been in Canada in years. Well, go ahead and read it. What does it say? Well, go on and read it. But after you read it, don't you? All right, I'll read it to you. Can you hear? I haven't heard anything yet. Did you say anything? Well, I haven't said anything worth hearing. Well, that's why I didn't hear anything. Well, that's why I didn't say anything. Can you read? I can read, but I can't see it. I don't seem to have it in focus here. My arms were a little longer, I could read it. You haven't got a baboon in your pocket, have you? Here, here, here we are. Now I've got it. Now pay particular attention to this first clause because it's most important. 
says the, uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part. How do you like that? That's pretty neat, eh? No, it's no good. What's the matter with her? I don't know. Let's hear it again. Says the, uh, the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the party of the first part. Yeah, it sounds a little better this time. Well, it grows on you. Would you like to hear it once more? Uh, just the first part. What do you mean, the, the party of the first part? No, the first part of the party or the first part. All right, it says the, uh, the first part of the party of the first part should be known in this contract as the first part of the party of the first part should be known in this contract. Look, why should we quarrel about a thing like this? We'll take it right out, eh? Yeah, <laughs> it's a too long anyhow. Now what do we got left? Well, I got about a foot and a half. Now it says the, the party of the second part should be known in this contract as the party of the second part. Well, I don't know about that. Now what's the matter? I don't like it the second party either. Well, you should have come to the first party. We didn't get home till around four in the morning. I was blind for three days. Hey, look. Why can't the first part of the second party be the second part of the first party? Then you've got something. Well, look, uh, rather than go through all that again, what do you say? Fine. Now, uh, now I've got something here you're bound to like. You'd be crazy about it. No, I don't like it. You don't like what? Whatever it is, I don't like it. Well, don't let's break up an old friendship over a thing like that. Ready? Okay. Now, the next part I don't think you're going to like. Well, your word's good enough for me. Now then, is my word good enough for you? I should say not. Well, that takes out two more clauses. Now, the party of the eighth part... No, you, no? that's no good, no. The party of the ninth... No, part, that's no. no good, too. Hey, how is it my contract is skinnier than yours? Well, I don't know. You must have been out on the tail last night. But anyhow, we're all set now, aren't we? Oh, sure. Now, just, uh, just you put your name right down there, and then the deal is, is uh, legal. Hey, I forgot to tell you, I can't write. No, well, that's all right. There's no ink in the pen anyhow. But listen, it's a contract, isn't it? Oh, sure. We've got a contract, we'll no matter wait. how small it is. Hey, wait, wait. What does this say here, this thing here? Oh, that? Oh, that's the usual clause. That's in every contract. That just says, uh, it says, uh, if any of the parties participating in this contract are shown not to be in their right mind, the entire agreement is automatically nullified. Well, I don't know. It's all right. That, that's in every contract. That's, that's what they call a sanity clause. <laughs> you can't fool me. There ain't no sanity clause. <laughs>